0: All right. Very good. Very good. All right. We are in a series on the Psalms. Um, Here's how we're rolling. We recognize that the Psalms are rugged. They're raw. They are designed to do things to us sometimes we forget. And so the Psalms are, they can very easily be disconnected from the reality that they were written in. And so we want to kind of tether those two realities together. And so we have uh, many of the Psalms written by this guy named David. And we know more about David than we know about we know more about David than anybody else in the Bible, minus Jesus, and so we know a ton about the life of David. And we know that in First and Second Samuel in 1 and First and Second Chronicles, we know about the life. Of David, and so we want to take the way that the Psalms are written is that they give us some of them. They give us key moments of when they were written, and so we during the summer series we want to uh, give the context in First Samuel or Second Samuel of what's happening in the life of David, and then tether that to the Psalms of where David's heart is in the midst of what's going on in his life. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 34, and uh, as we get there, we're going to give a little bit of context to help us understand. Where David was, and so I'd love to kickstart with this. I've used this example before. I just think it's pretty relevant for us. And this, it's a good example of Psalm 34 played out. And so, in 1871, uh, again, I've used this analogy before, but a guy named Horatio Spafford was uh, a lawyer in Chicago. He had four kids. He was married, and the Chicago fires devastated his world. And uh, devastated his work, devastated a lot of things that was happening in Chicago. It was a massive fire, if you remember what took place, if you've studied history. And two years later, in 1873, uh, Spafford encouraged his girls and his wife to go to England. Uh, and in England, he would, they would meet up with an evangelist, uh, D.L. Moody. And so there, he was going to send them ahead, and then he was going to go a few days later. And so they left, and their ship, pre-airplane, their, their ship... Uh, struck something and within 12 minutes the ship sank and all that was left was his wife and so she made it over to the other side and she wrote uh, Spafford and just simply said two words, saved alone. And so you can imagine the, the trauma, the difficulty that, that he was experiencing. So uh, when he took the ship over to meet his wife, um, he was going over the ocean and, and, they, and they, um, the, the ship, the, what would be the, the ship guy, the, the lead ship, the, the <laughs> So every single person in this room knew what I was supposed to say. <laughs> here we are. Why am I up here? Um, and so, uh, so the captain, obviously, idiots. Um, just kidding. I'm not supposed to say idiot when I'm sitting up here. Um, so the captain said, hey, this is where that spot was, where, where the ship sank. And it was in that moment when he pinned some words that we might be aware of that says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He did some grieving in that moment as he navigated through one of the darkest spaces on, in the world for him. And, and this heart posture is, is similar to what we're going to find in Psalm 34. But to get to Psalm 34, we need to get some context. And so this week and next week, we're going to see a specific aspect of David's life uh, and a wilderness that David finds himself in. And so we'll pick up, give a little bit of storyline to where David now is. And so in 1 Samuel 16, we see that uh, David had been rejected, it seems, what we gather from the scripture by his family. And so, in his rejection, he is a shepherd boy on the outskirts uh, tending sheep. And this prophet comes in. And this prophet his name is named Samuel. And he tells uh, Jesse, who is the father of David, he says, Jesse, I want all of your sons to come to me because one of them is going to be king. And so, he brings in all of the sons except for David. And so Samuel begins to go down and, and begins to, the Lord speaks to him and, and says, the oldest one isn't uh, the king. The next one isn't, the next one isn't, the next one isn't, the next one isn't. And then Samuel looks to, to Jesse and he's like, dude, where are these all your sons? Like, I know God said that one of your sons is gonna be king. Where, is there any son that I'm, I'm missing? And, and Samuel says, yeah, there's actually one more. He's tending the sheep. And so then he comes and brings David and Samuel anoints David in that moment. Samuel's like a teenager at this point. And so we see that Samuel is anointed king while this other guy, Saul, is currently king. So you fast forward a little bit and you see this, this moment where David goes out to this war zone of areas and you have the Israelites on one side and you have the Philistines on the other and you have this massive mammoth of a monster man, Goliath, come out who terrifies all of Israel. And he says, I want one of you guys to go MMA with me. And whoever wins between us two, they're going to have this land and you're going to take over rulership of this area. So Goliath waits and David kind of makes his way through to the front and he says, I'll fight him. And the story kind of plays out in a fast forward. And he takes these five, five stones and you guys know the story. And he slings them and he knocks down this dude, Goliath. And fame erupts about this dude named Goliath. David. There's a song that erupts uh, that that David. That Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. And Saul, the current king, begins to get overwhelmed with jealousy and envy of David, to the point where he wants to kill David. And just a sidebar for us: we learn a lot about Saul and this. He's a case study for us, and we learn that if you don't work twice as much much on your character as you do on your competency. If you don't care more about your character than you do your resume, it'll always ruin your life. And we see that in the life of Saul. He cared more about what people thought. He cared more about his resume than he did about his character. And it erodes his life. It's not impressive to have a great resume if your soul is decaying and your marriage is drowning. But we learn from Saul that you, we must do the hard work of, of character. Saul reminds us of this. And so the jealousy of Saul, and again, I'm going to land the plan on where we're going with Psalm 34. It's all going to connect in just a minute. But the jealousy of Saul is so real that he wants to kill David. So we read these, these moments and, and 1 Samuel 18, verse 29. It says, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. And then in 1 Samuel 19, 10, it says, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. I mean, is that... Some level of like hatred, and it's not good feelings, it's not good vibes between Saul and David. Like, he detests him, but David eluded Saul so that he stuck the spear into the wall, and David fled. And 1 Samuel 19 18, it says, Now David fled and escaped. And then in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then David fled. And lastly, In verse 33 of chapter 20, it says, Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. Not the greatest javelin dude here, Saul. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. So the following chapters... We see David as a fugitive. It reminds me of the Harrison Ford movie with, with the fugitive and the story back in, like what, the 90s? Where you have Harrison Ford running for his life as a fugitive. David's the same way. He's running for his life. He's in survival mode. He's just trying to live another day because Saul and all of his army are chasing after David. That's what's happening in the latter half of 1 Samuel. And it's here where David writes Psalm 34 more specifically, in chapter 21, we see that David meet, met this priest named Abimelech. And Abimelech was a, a, was a priest, and, and he shows up. Uh, David shows up to the priest where, where the priest was, and, and David begins to ask some questions to the priest. And the priest begins to ask him, Why are you here? Like the priest is scared that David is here. He knows that David had already killed Goliath, and he like, Why are you here? And David lies to him, and he says, The king summoned me to come here. He's terrified. And David asks for some food, he asks for a weapon. The weapon happens to be Goliath's sword, and then someone points a finger at David and says, aren't you the guy that killed ten 000? Aren't you that guy? And it's in that moment that David begins to act crazy. And so if you go to Psalm 34 and you read it at the top, it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. So in Psalm 34, that's the moment where David reflects and pens what we read in Psalm 34. There's such buildup here, and we've got to think about his emotional state. I mean, what are you, where are you in this moment if you're him? I mean, he is terrified for his life. He knows Saul is crazy. He sees that crazy look in Saul's eye, and he knows it's not good, and so he's running. He's also confused. He's been anointed as king, and now this has brought him here. There's all kinds of emotions he's feeling. And then we read this in Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from my fears Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is tremendous, right? It's going to go on. We're going to read a little more in a minute. But we learn so much about prayer here. Like the Psalms are a prayer book to us. How do you respond when life goes sideways? Like think about life's going sideways in real time for David. Everything that he was expecting was not coming to pass. I don't think he was connecting the dots with going crazy and being anointing king in the same sentence, but that's what's happening in his life. It's not what he expected, and yet this is what he pins. See, when life goes sideways, what do the Psalms encourage us to do? See, David is teaching us about our posture. He's but a man. We know he's flawed. We'll learn more about about that this summer. But in the midst of this, he's, he's teaching us how to respond to those moments and how to approach god in this way it reminds us about faith it reminds us that life's going to make you bleed it reminds us that unmet expectations are part of the gig for us but it also reminds us that god is our stability that he's a god who cares and loves and pursues and holds and guards and rescues so let's dissect what it says it says i will bless the lord at all times see god is not only to be blessed when life is smooth but at all times, at all times. Did y'all said that with me, at all times. You can say it now, maybe repeat after me. At all times. <laughs> that was a little bit better. So at all times, we need perspective, right? It's not just when things are smooth. It's not just when things are good, but at all times, we need perspective of who God is. Oftentimes, we get lost in the hard times. We lose perspective in the hard times. We lose understanding in the hard times. But the goal is to keep our circumstances from being the loudest, more prominent voice in our minds and in our lives. Horatio Spafford learned this. Paul learned this. He's in prison as he writes the letter to the church in Ephesus. We'll get into Ephesians this fall. And he begins that letter. The the first few words he says is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is choosing at all times in prison to bless the Lord because of all that he's done for us. See, perspective stabilizes us in all seasons to remember that he is a firm foundation, that he doesn't waver regardless of what's happening in our lives. He doesn't change when life falls apart. He is steady when the job hopes that we had shift. He will never leave even when we are, we are betrayed. He is a refuge when you are pelted with accusation. He doesn't fail so that we can run to him. I mean, we can talk about the stock market. We can talk about your current 401k. We can talk about interest rates. And is he stable then? Like, or, or, is it, or is it an exception And in these moments, maybe he's not, but in others, he is. It's in these moments where we have to be confronted with a crossroads. Am I going to trust him with my life or not? Am I going to bless him at all times? Am I going to only bless him when I really have control, if I'm honest? And it's this reminder. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. See, David's life is crumbling before his eyes, but he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. See, our problem is that we don't, not just y'all, but we don't bless the Lord in all seasons. We've learned along the way to hide our pain. We've learned along the way that we can't come to God with difficult stuff. So we come to God in these weird places that we've defined that he never defined for us. And so we put our best foot forward and we don't ask for help and we isolate when times are hard. And we hurt because of it. But blessing the Lord is a recognition and a reorientation around who he is in our lives. This is not ignoring our pain, but an understanding of who God is and where God is in the midst of our pain. And so David has to preach to himself. I can imagine him, David, bless the Lord. Like, get, soul, lift your eyes up. Beyond your circumstances, beyond the fear of Saul breathing down your neck, David, bless the Lord. Sometimes we need to preach to ourselves as well. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, at all times, about this text, at all times, in every situation, under every circumstance, before, in, and after trials, and bright days of glee and dark nights of fear, he would never be done praising because never satisfied that he had done enough always feeling that he fell short of the Lord's deservings. Happy is he whose fingers are wedded to his harp. He who praises God for mercies shall never want a mercy for which to praise. To bless the Lord is never unseasonable. I will bless the Lord at all times, David says. And then he says, my soul makes its boast. In who? In the Lord, it says. His confidence wasn't circumstantial. He needed to recall this. See, we don't roll this way. We boast in our circumstances. When do we feel the best? When things are good, smooth, we're in control. We feel confident and having the reins in our own hands, right? Like if we're honest, like that's when we feel uh, like we can boast the most. But David reminds us. in the moment that he's in, as he's having to go crazy because he's scared for his life, he says, my soul is going to make its boast." In the Lord, how much of our confidence is wrapped up in what we accomplish or what we have or what others say about us? And therefore, our confidence is like a roller coaster, never stable. It's high, and then it drops, and there's no consistency. But David says, I, my soul, makes its boast in the Lord. Family, there is one, 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 one secure reality in the universe, only one not on what you do, not on what you have, not on what others say about you. Our souls, let them make their boast in the Lord. He had to preach this to himself. He's reminding himself, soul, make your boast. Not in the fact that you became king, not in the fact that you're influential, not in the fact that people like you. Make your boast in the stable reality that is God. Let your soul make its boast in the Lord. He then goes on and he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He didn't just say, let us exalt his name. There's a communal side that we need to do this life well. So my, he says, oh, magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. He's trying to recall his need for others. We need each other. You can't do this life well on your own. And neither can I. We need each other. We can't make it on our own. We need perspective. We need the oxygen that is encouragement from other people. We need courage to press on and not grow weary. It says, let us exalt his name together. And then this phrase, I found this one to be the most interesting as I navigated through Psalm 34 and verse 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, like, that ironic that he says that, in this context, like, I don't know if, if you might have seen, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good on, on coffee mugs, if you've ever been to a Christian bookstore, right? So you, you were aware enough to know that that phrase is in the, in the Christian world, but have we ever known that that's actually anchored to the moment when David is terrified for his life and he preaches to himself, David, taste and see that the Lord is good did you know that this was where it was coming from? He's terrified for his life. He's confused. Saul's going crazy. He's questioning all kinds of things, but he remembers God's goodness. He's preaching to himself. David, isn't he good? Even when life doesn't make sense, isn't he good? He's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. And we need, you guys like me with this? So like, we just, every, every time we like pray for something and God fulfills it, It's like we forget about it. And then we move on to the next thing as if nothing happened in the past. And in that moment, it's like a silo for us. And we begin to wonder, is God going to be faithful? We don't know what he's going to do. He's not a genie. We don't know how he's going to operate. But then we forget that he's trustworthy. We forget that he's good and he's powerful and he's with us and he hasn't left us and he will never betray us. And it's like in these moments, we become like siloed and we forget all these things about God. And David is stirring himself up. He's saying, David, remember, taste and see that he is good. Taste and see that he is still a foundation that can be stand, stood upon. He is, he is kind and gracious. We can be tunnel vision to miss these things. And so David's preaching to himself. What are we learning about this song? In the midst of difficulty and hardship and the highs and lows, sometimes we've got to just preach to ourselves. Sometimes we've got to recall the nature of God. Sometimes we've got to recall the character of God. Sometimes we've got to recall the goodness of God. And he fast forwards and he says, those who fear the Lord have no lack. How? How can those that fear the Lord have no lack? Because their sustenance is from the stream of living water, not the desert of circumstances. Like the nourishment is that stream of water. If you remember from Psalm 1, that's where we gain the life, that the tree gains life in the very first Psalm that we looked at a couple weeks ago, that our nourishment is from the stream, not circumstances that come and go. You know, we can lack nothing when he is our shepherd. Spurgeon goes on to say, he says, Jehovah, which is another name for God, Jehovah will not allow his faithful servants to starve. He may not give luxuries, the promise binds him to supply necessities, and he will not run back from his word. Many whims and wishes may remain unfulfilled, but real wants the Lord will supply. So he says, remember, I have no lack. Right, David? Uh, uh, Drew talked about that two weeks ago, that the Lord is my shepherd. I, I have what I need. Right? It's just preaching to ourselves, it's reminding of ourselves of what is true. And then he finishes the psalm, And he recalls the character of God. He says, he hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. So Psalm 34 is this reminder. Sometimes we gotta just preach to ourselves. Sometimes we gotta remind ourselves of what is true because our circumstances are telling us the opposite. Reminding ourselves of who is stable and what is true. So like Horatio Spafford, like Paul in Ephesians 1 like David in Psalm 34, and the list goes on and on and on. We need to be reminded of what is true, and that the, no, that the noise of circumstances will be the loudest voice for us. David, in one of the darkest seasons of his life, says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I wonder how many of us need to preach this to ourselves. You know, if we sat down for coffee and had an honest conversation, like, I don't know, maybe things are just good for you. Maybe you're just, if you're honest, there's just some struggles that you feel in your soul. But we gather every Sunday morning, maybe a little less frequently in the summer, but, but almost every Sunday morning. We gather to remember what is true. We gather to remember the faithfulness of God. We gather to remember the character of God. We gather to remember that he has shown himself and made himself visible in Jesus. And we can know and trust him that he's rescued us and he's not finished with us. He sent us the spirit to guide us that we are no longer orphans. We have the spirit with us. We gather to recall and reset upon the firm foundation that is God himself. And so friends, I just wanna remind us I want to preach to you and preach to me the truth of who God is, that he's with you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name. This is what we're called to do, and this is a reminder for us. And so my encouragement to you is don't lose sight of the character of God. Don't lose sight of his consistency and his stability. Don't let the circumstances of your life Be a louder voice than the only stability in this universe. Like, take a step back. Remember that circumstances are so fleeting. If you're up high, you know it's going to come down. And if you're low, you know it's going to come up. Don't let your highs be too high, your lows be too low. Remember what is stable and remember what isn't stable. This is what we are reminded of. I will bless the Lord at all times. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We don't want to just hear this thing but not allow it to shape who we are. As we wake up on Wednesday morning and feel the pressure of work or feel the pressure of relationships or feel the pressure of whatever our life is giving to us in this season, let us remember that you are stable, you are consistent. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Lord, we give you thanks. that we can trust you. We thank you for the gift of faith, Lord, in this season for some. Father, I ask that you'd infuse the gift of faith. to not grow weary. Lord, we come in here with a limp and we remember that you are the only source of life. You are the only stable reality. Remind us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.